Petersfield's Shine Radio. Hello, I'm Claire Venice. And I'm Joff Lacey. We're recollecting. And reminiscing in this week's Peapod. Claire Venice and Joff Lacey in Petersfield's Peapod. Thank you for joining us in the Peapod. It's that time of year again when we bring you a selection of our favourite Peapod interviews from the year. And what a Peapod year it's been. We've met so many lovely people in the Petersphere and been to some fantastic events too. There really would be no Peapod at all without you. So as we take you down memory lane, we'll be doing a spot of stargazing, having some charity Easter fun, meeting our town crier, taking a skinny dip, almost, enjoying local bees, walking in memory of a good friend, squelching in lots of mud and rounding off with a few bloopers too. The P stands for Petersfield. It's like the best town ever. <laughs> the Peapod. Well. Fun, fun. Fun, fun. Hello, Claire. Hi, Joe. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Happy Christmas. And to you, happy Christmas. We've got through another year. We have. <laughs> How? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> We've done 200 peapods now. Yes, that's amazing. What a milestone. What a milestone. Who knew that we would be doing peapods Not still? Us. <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk about our peapod memories shortly. Mm-hmm. Personally, how's 2023 been for you? It's been uh, a year of changes in that... Um, my girls have done their A-levels and GCSEs and one's gone off to university, one's now at college, um, the younger one's at secondary school. So, you know, a few adjustments moving on, um, but all good, thank you. And I think all in all, looking back, it's not been a bad year. Joff? Well, mine's like the tyre. Been a good year. Mm. Do you like that? I do. <laughs> yeah, it's been, it's been a busy year. I reckon I've taken on too much. As usual. Year, as usual. usual. So for me, highlights, well, I was Dane in the Panto in January, first ever proper solo Dane role. I then had Canterbury Tales, where my face adorned every poster and roadside banner around Petersfield. Who could forget? For about two months. <laughs> then done, been in art. I was nominated for Peaceful Personality at the Peaceful Awards. Continued doing the Peapod with you, which I love immensely. We're now a three-car family because my youngest passed his driving test. Yeah, lots on. Yeah. A lot I... has gone on. But it's been, yeah, it's been great. Learnt lots about myself and loads of other things, really. Mm, it's been, I don't quite know where the year has gone. No. Suddenly we're here, it's December, um, looking at 2024, racing towards us. Yes. Where's that time gone? No, I, don't, I no. don't know. But, uh, but hopefully, Is it know... because we're getting older? Oh, gosh, maybe. Some of us have reached a milestone. And as it gets, time passes us by much more quickly. Don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Do you have lovely Christmas holiday plans, John? I am off over Christmas, which would be nice. Um, yeah, so yeah, it'd be great to have some family time. Yeah, absolutely. Saying that, I think my boys are working or um, going to watch Pompey and Extra. <laughs> so I probably won't see them. <laughs> Yourself? Yeah, the usual family, friends. Just really looking forward to a break, you know, a change of the usual routine. So um, good excuse to do that, I think. And when we return in the new year, I'll ask you your resolutions then. Oh, lovely. Okay. We won't do it now. Because <laughs> <laughs> plenty of time for that to go out the window. <laughs> so go. 2023 for the people. As I say, we reached our 200th. The town never ceases to amaze me. With what goes on, the people we meet, 
and that type of thing. And I think that's the best thing about doing the Peapod that both you and I enjoy so much, Dov, is going out and about and meeting people and finding out what's going on in our area. We are so lucky. There's an amazing amount Mm. of events, organisations, charities, people doing some fantastic stuff. And that's what we love. Yes. And there has been some changes to the Peapod this year. For three and a half years, we had Susie and her wild walks, which was great. That was a great addition to the show. And sadly, we lost John friend and contributor, which we'll discuss later on in the show. Personally, miss him immensely, our weekly chats, but we'll cover that later. But I have to say, ending this year, Joff, by hosting once again the Christmas light switch on was such a highlight. It was. It was, it was a great event. Yes, it was an honour and a privilege to do that, Claire. It was. It was good fun. So, here we go. The best of 2023 Peapods, Joff. Well, we would love to hear from you. If you have a story you'd like us to cover or would just like to say hi, please call or WhatsApp us on 01730 555 500 or send an email to team at shineradio.uk. Coming up, we attempt stargazing and take a visit to the Rosemary Foundation's Easter Fair. But first... An historic event took place in Petersfield on January the 28th with the appointment of a town crier. Potentially the first town crier in Petersfield, this was a close-run competition. We spoke to Councillor Paul Milner, who was there that morning. An unusual advertisement was placed last year calling for Petersfield residents to apply for a new role in town, and not just any role. The successful candidate would be employed by the town to make public announcements or proclamations as Petersfield's first official town crier. To tell us about how all this started is Councillor Paul Milner. Hello Paul, how are you? Good morning, very well thanks. So, why does Petersfield need a town crier? Uh, well, as you know, that we've had quite a few rural events recently and the interest in uh, such things like the proclamations have been uh, quite interesting. But it partly came about because of uh, the small business fair where they started to advertise with a town crier and we saw how useful that was and the reaction we're getting from the public. So we thought we'd perhaps consider this idea again. And what's the response been like in Peterson? Very positive, I'm pleased to say. Um, it is an unusual thing. I think there's only about uh, 250-odd town criers nationally so it's quite a rare thing to have one I, we don't know that, that the town's really had one before certainly Petersfield Town Council hasn't so this will be a first for us and what events do you see the town crier calling at well officially their, jo- their job is to proclaim for the council and of, we're small council we don't have too many things to talk about but we have a, a few um, but actually the real value will be in uh, how they can help support uh, the local c- commerce and also uh, tourism and uh, charities so when can we expect the first outing of our new town crier in Peterson? oh gosh that's still to be arranged is but it? we'd like to be like to be soon certainly we'd like to have uh, the town crier suited and booted for the the royal events in may um and we'll be looking at our schedule very soon to uh, see what they can do. And what qualities are you looking for in the town crier? Well, quite a, a number of factors, really. But obviously, people think, you know, a, a loud voice, that's one thing. But oh, in the old days, it was to be ability to read and write was, was the most important factor. But most people can do that. Now, I think it's more about engagement with the public, uh, perhaps being a bit social media savvy. Um, these people tend to be the most photographed in their town. Um, the tourists um, are very drawn to them. And it's a, partly a more of a marketing role more than anything else. So it's having that person who's got the right personality, the demeanour, engages with the public, but also can perform 
as, as you would expect. Were you tempted? No. <laughs> <laughs> There's quite a buzz on, in Ramswalk this morning. It is, isn't it? Yeah, how does that feel? Because this is it's, obviously a moment you've been waiting for. It's lovely. I'm, I'm pleased that we've got good weather for a start and it's, it's reasonably warm. Um, we've got some, uh, for those who obviously can't see us, there's some very colourful characters. We're joined by the town crier royalty in the form of the chair of the guild, which is Mr Christian Ashdown, all the way from Hazelmere. And uh, he's joined also by his secretary from the guild, uh, Jane Smith, all the way from Bognor Regis. Who's on the judging panel? Uh, well, the judges over there are the, um, some of the councillors. We've got uh, Councillor James Dean and we've got Councillor John Lees. Well, we'll be speaking to them later on. Yeah. Paul, thank you for joining us. Enjoy the day. Thank you very much. And yeah, we can't wait to meet the winner. Lovely. Thank you. And many congratulations to Faye Thompson for being chosen for Petersfield's first town crier. The Hampshire Astronomical Group at Clanfield Observatory were a welcoming bunch when we went to visit in February. It was a bit of a cloudy night, so we didn't actually see any stars other than Claire and I. Really? But we had a fabulous time finding about what we can see in the sky around the Petersphere. The Clanfield Observatory is one of the best equipped amateur observatories in the UK and situated in the South Downs is well placed being in a dark skies area. To tell us more about the history of the observatory is Vice Chairman of the Hampshire Astronomical Group, Steve Bosley. Hello Steve, how are you? Hi there, hello. So let's start. When did your interest in all things astronomy start? Well, I always say that I'm a sort of child of the space age. So I was born in 54. So Sputnik um, and the Apollo program were the things that really drove my interest. Uh, I then decided that I needed to do something when I went to university. And I studied astrophysics at university, which was very brave of me. Um, And then thought I'd love a career in there. But there weren't really that many careers in the subject. So I went into IT and just sort of did my thing for 30 odd years. Then once I took early retirement, I realized there was this observatory at the top of the hill about a mile from my house and came up here with my wife and we very, very quickly became members. And how long has the observatory been here? Well, on this site, um, it's, that they first started working here in, in sort of, I think it was about 73. But the group itself uh, was founded in 1960 and had several um, earlier incarnations in Crookhorn and Fort Nelson. But um, on one case, they wanted to uh, build houses on the site, so we were kicked out of that site effectively. And the next one, encroachment, encroachment of too much light pollution forced us further and further away from the, the buildings. And uh, one of our members just happened upon, he he had a habit of happening upon, (laughs) uh, but he happened upon uh, the uh, water board site. He approached the water board and just happened to get them just before a board meeting. And so um, at the board meeting they said, yes, we we wouldn't mind if you you came and built a, a, a dome on our site. And it's sort of grown. The dome that we built is the large one, what's now the 24 inch dome. And that was the the first dome on the site. Um, We then subsequently added the Victorian one. One of our telescopes was a gift to the Royal Navy. And I don't think they probably knew what to do with it. We heard about it and we offered to to refurbish it if they could find us a home for it. Um, And it just so happened that that particular dome was about to be demolished at uh, at Hurstminster, which then was part of the, the Royal Observatory. And so we went along there, we 
uh, exchanged £25, I think it was, and so became the proud owners. We had to dismantle it on site and then uh, bring it up here in pieces and then build the walls here with the help of the Navy. Uh, the Navy, unfortunately, got called away on some business in the South uh, Atlantic, and so we had to finish the, the build itself. And all of our members were volunteers, so it, it was just... Uh, a brick and also over each weekend for quite a long time uh, but this was we were talking in the early 70s um, we commissioned the first dome here I think it was in the early 80s I really have my crib shit somewhere but it, does, it doesn't really matter um, then we had a, a donation from the uh, widow of one of our members he used to have a um, telescope in his back garden with a seven inch dome um, that came uh, dome and telescope uh, again we had to dismantle it in the garden in haven't bring it here and then build it again it's interesting watching about 20 or 30 people moving a dome around manually it's quite a physical thing to do um, we've got a couple of other domes which have arrived over ver in various periods but we but then we keep uh, revisiting them so the the dome the big dome with 24 inch had a handmade telescope in there but it became more and more difficult to maintain it so what we did was basically gave it to somebody else and bought ourselves this research grade telescope um, cost us a fair amount and we were hoping to take about five years to uh, to get the funds for it and we managed it in about two two and a half which was quite a shock to everybody. We got a few grants from local authorities, and local authorities around uh, have been very generous on a number of occasions. Um, we've got a, another grant to help us refurbish the 16-inch dome. Uh, and what we're aiming with that is to try to um, make the hobby of astronomy more accessible to more people, especially if you're disabled or something, uh, or just old and infirm. It, if we can bring our observing online, and we haven't quite worked out what that means yet. We have, we have some ideas as to how we can most effectively do that. But that will then uh, mean that anybody can actually feel that they are part of the observing community that we have here. Very specifically, uh, my particular interest are the meter cameras. We have CCTV cameras pointing at the sky, and you'd think, well, why? Well, we're looking for any movement in the sky, and that movement includes meteors. And in an average year, we might capture about 1,500 of those. Um, we might capture about 30-odd thousand bats and lightning flashes and insects and birds and whatever. But by, by collating those with other colleagues around the country, then we can actually um, do some analysis to work out where they came from. And that has been going for about 10 years now. So we started that in 2012, so we're, we're now looking for a new generation that's less labour intensive. Steve, you very kindly gave us a little tour around when mm -hmm. we first arrived. Yes. It is a quite incredible sight up here. I didn't realise you had all this equipment up here. Um, can you explain what events you also hold up here as well? Um, the events we have, like this evening, we've got a, a sort of a public open evening, typically um, once a month, sort of the Saturday and the Sunday. We've been playing catch-up because um, we had a lot of people that were booked to come and then COVID intervened and they were very very generous rather than ask for the money back they actually said no you hang on to it and we'll come sometime 
which has actually been quite interesting <laughs> trying to find time to get those people um, into the observatory and new people that want to come along as well. So we've been very, very busy this last season particularly. Uh, we also have um, Sun Live. So in the, in the summer we have solar telescopes so we can get sort of visitors viewing the sun. We, we can use some of the telescopes with special filters, but having a, a specialist solar telescope sort of out in, in, in the sunshine is really quite nice. And the sun is actually, look, it's got a few sunspots these days. Go back two years and it, there was nothing to see. Uh, but people still want to come. They want to come and experience astronomy, which is really amazing. I suppose it's the great unknown, isn't it? That's why people are, are so interested, because yes. we don't know what we're looking at. We don't know what's out there. Most people that come here have never been before, which is really quite a surprise. And so when you can actually get them to look through a telescope and to eyeball Jupiter, you just stand back and wait for the, oh, wow, somebody is going to say it. Because it is just something that is spectacular. You can see it on TV, and yeah, NASA can give you amazing pictures. But to see it for yourself through a telescope is something pretty special. And what's the most exciting thing you've seen through your telescope? Oh, you, put, you added telescope to that sentence. <laughs> My meteor cameras gave me the most exciting uh, event uh, in the last 10 years. Back in 1917 on St. Patrick's Day, we had a fireball that f uh, flew from the northwest and it went right down the diagonal of, of, of the computer screen. So the cameras caught it and it was probably the, the best capture of that event anywhere in the country. Lots of other people saw it. There was even somebody from the BBC Sky at Night who was actually on the beach filming a, a, a programme and he was facing in the wrong direction. <laughs> but, but he was able, from his experience, to look at the shadows that were cast and how sharp they were and say, well, that was at least as bright as a full moon. And it really was very, very spectacular. And the day after it hit the, the news and everybody wanted to know about it. And that can sometimes be a two-edged sword because there was one, one a few weeks ago where everyone saw something bright in the sky and I don't really think it was that bright. We got it on our cameras and to be honest, I've seen, I've seen better. Steve, thank you very much for inviting us up here. Have a great evening and thank you again. You're welcome. You can find out more about our dark skies from Shine Radio's monthly Skywatch written by local astronomical expert, Jeff Burt. The P stands for Petersfield. I can't believe that we live in such a idyllic place. The Peapod. The Easter Fair at the Petersfield School took place at the beginning of April. The school was full of storeholders and fairgoers, along with a fantastic choir from Bedhampton called Folks in Harmony. The Rosemary Foundation is a Hampshire-based charity offering hands-on nursing for patients suffering from cancer and life-limiting illnesses within their own homes. Formed in 1997, the Rosemary Foundation has supported thousands of patients, fully funded from grants, donations and legacies. We're at the Rosemary Foundation's Easter Fair with fundraising manager Wendy Smith. Hello Wendy, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. Good morning, everyone. Hi, Wendy. Busy, busy morning. I know you're just about to open the fair, aren't you? We are indeed. We're very excited. We've got the Petersfield Town Crier, who's come to, uh, to do the formalities. And we have folks, folks in Harmony, a choir that's going to sing for us. And then hopefully the weather hasn't put people off and lots of people will come along and join us and have a cup of tea, hot cross bun, and maybe even spend some money. That would be amazing. 
There's a lovely atmosphere here at TPS, isn't there, this morning? Yeah, we, we are a very uh, joyful bunch. And uh, when we all get together, the nurses and, you know, you, it's, there's a lot of work involved. But it's amazing because it all just comes together. And we are so lucky with our supporters and our volunteers, many of whom are here today. Um, and people just turn up and we have a, a company that we're working with, SMI, and, and they contacted us and said, we can send four people along to help you. And how important is an event like this to the running of the Rosemary Foundation? Events like this are very important. Um, as you mentioned earlier, all of our funding comes from trusts, foundations, community fundraising, of which this is, is an event, uh, in memory giving, legacies. Um, and, and what's important to note is that all of our services are provided entirely free of charge. So every penny counts that we raise and every penny goes towards keeping our service on the road. Uh, we are the only uh, organisation doing what we do. Uh, we're based in Petersfield, we cover a 15 mile radius and without the funding we just wouldn't be able to continue. So events like this where people are so generous is it really does make the difference to us and also it it's about the, letting the community know that we are here and we are there for you um, and and we often say to people just come along have a cup of tea say hi to us you know and how many people are involved with the Rosemary Foundation um, the numbers change all the time but we have uh, 18 nurses um, three part-time admin staff a host of volunteers and our volunteers do everything from reception cover to gift aid applications for us we're very very lucky so we're actually quite a small team at the moment we and we are recruiting for nurses uh, we care for about 340 to 350 patients a year and we're 24 7 365 days a year so trees in the road snow falling that doesn't stop us getting out to the patients and doing what needs to be done sounds like quite an incredible organization wendy how it long is. have you been involved in that? i've been around for two and a half years my predecessor retired after 10 years i stepped in as an interim and i'm still here um and it is an amazing organization and you know i have to say personally I'm in awe of what the nurses do. People come up to me and, and say, you know, you looked after a family member. And, you know, um, what we do is very, very special. I'm going to echo what Wendy says. Uh, the Rosemary Foundation came in and helped my mother 18 months ago. Um, and the, the support they gave the whole family was just amazing. And that will forever stay with us. Um, how can people get in contact to become nurses to join this fabulous organisation? Okay. Um, if they look at the website, there's a number, they can just phone in and then what they would do is they would have an interview with the clinical team, which is Caroline or Claire, the managers. Um, and, you know, it needs to be somebody who is interested in palliative care because it's quite specialist. It's not for everybody. We know that. Um, and, and also volunteers. You know, we're always looking for volunteers who might want to help out at events, help out with some office admin, um, 
so yeah so the website is the first point of call uh, that's all there's lots of information on there and then just phone into the office and um, and somebody will call back and get in touch with them um, and, and it's important what you said because we don't just look after the patient we then care for the family through our bereavement counselling service afterwards um, we have a bereavement cafe um, so yeah again all of that is entirely free of charge incredible Wendy lovely to talk to you thank you so much we're going to let you go because it's thank going you. to start very, thank very you very soon thank you so much thank you Coming up, we revisit Petersfield Beekeepers and a memorial walk. But first, we came over a bit funny in that skinny dip peapod in June. We were in for many surprises on the evening of Friday, June the 10th. It was a gorgeous evening and a wonderful way to spend it at the Petersfield Open Air Pool. Little did we know that we were about to record one of our favourite peapods with the British naturalists at their great British skinny dip. Naturism is booming in Britain with an estimated 1.3 million Brits embracing the life-affirming joys of being publicly unclothed. And thanks to the pandemic, British naturism is seeing the fastest growth in new members in 100 years. The naturism movement has its roots in Germany when the free body culture emerged in the 1890s and we're certainly surrounded by many free bodies this evening at the open air pool. Let's meet <laughs> Deputy Regional Organiser of British Naturism, Colin Taylor. Colin, thank you for joining us. You're welcome. Thank you for having us. So, tell us all about naturism. Naturism is about doing everything you would do normally, clothes, but you take your clothes off and do it. <laughs> And why is it so popular, do you think? For, for many reasons. Um, it's a, a, you get a real sense of freedom. Um, stripping off and, and wandering around is a, a, a great thing for mental health. Um, it helps people a, a lot. Um, and it is just that feeling of getting back to nature. How long have you been a naturist yourself? I've been a naturist for decades. Um, I don't think I could tell you a date when it started. As a, a teenager, I enjoyed um, wandering around naked. Um, so I was a home naturist for most of my life um, and uh, decided, I think, as I got older. Um, and do you know what? Covid had a bit of um, an effect on me and I thought, why not? Um, and so I'm, I'm now more publicly... Um, naked um, so go to loads of events and uh, happy to go for a walk naked as well and it was so it's quite a big step for you to go from the the safety of your own home to an event like this yes it was but it it felt right after a couple of minutes um, so I went to an event in um, the Naturist Foundation in Kent um, which was a real ale and jazz festival. I love real ale, I love jazz, and I love being naked. So uh, <laughs> it didn't take me long to, uh, to get used to it. But why is there still a stigma attached to naturism? I think it's a, a, a wrong public perception that um, being naked equals sex. Um, and it couldn't be farther from the truth in naturism. Um, it is an asexual uh, experience. Um, so I think it's um, we need to perhaps educate the public um, and, and having more public events like this um, where it's not restricted just to um, British naturism members helps to do that. Is it just um, just a normal British reservation about this thing do you think? To, to an extent but I think where people have gone abroad to Europe 
um, and further afield. It's it's more common to see it on the beaches. Um, if you go to Spain, it's it's, it's not unusual to to see naked people on the beach. Um, and a lot of people, I think, started to do it when they went away on holiday. Um, and perhaps it's the weather in the UK that stops people doing it here quite mm. as much. Although the recent um, poll we did with um, Ipsos showed that there were. 6.75 million people in the UK who identified as uh, naturist or nudist. Wow. And has that number increased over the last sort of 10 years or so? Yeah, so if you go back 10 years, um, you're looking probably at 4% of the population, and my maths isn't good enough to tell you what that is. Um, but the equivalent um, in the last survey was 14%. What do you attribute that to? I think as more and more events happen, people are more pardon the pun, exposed to uh, naturism. Um, It's about normalising naturism. So seeing people on a a country walk uh, without clothes, um, people will get more and more used to it. Um, And that's why these sort of events are great, um, because we get publicity um, in the local press and on radio, um, and people know about it. Um, And the majority of people who see somebody naked on a country walk don't have a problem with it at all. And what would you say to someone who wants to get into naturism? How, how, how would you... Do it. <laughs> I know, it sounds really simple. <laughs> just looking for encouragement here. Yeah. It, it, it can't be just as simple as taking all your clothes off. It's... You, you've got to feel comfortable in yourself and the best way to do it is to start at home. Um, you know, like me, I was a home naturist for years. Um, so... When you get up in the morning, go for your shower, just don't put your clothes on. And then just increase, increase it, go out in the back garden, sit and have a beer in the back garden. Um, And then go to one of our events. I mean, looking around here, the age group is an older age group. Are there younger generations as well embracing naturism, do you think? There are. I mean, traditionally it has been a sort of an older population, but actually in that survey that I referred to, um, the biggest group um, was in the um, 18 to 25. Um, So you're seeing an increase. What we're not seeing within British naturism is them joining us or joining um, naturist clubs. Um, And I think that's just the way young people work. They don't want to belong they want to just go and do pay for it and get on and do the next thing and what are your thoughts of petersfield i think it's great i've not been here before i'm i actually live in kent so it's it's been quite a a trek over for me Um, but the pool looks lovely Um, and certainly i I know they've had some work done uh, in the last couple of years and it's great it's a lovely spot colin it's been really interesting talking to you thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us We got a bit sticky, but had a great time at the Honey Show with the Petersfield and District Beekeepers Association. It was a busy September afternoon at Berriton Village Hall. Let's revisit and hear more. The Petersfield and District Beekeepers Association have many events throughout the year, culminating in the annual Honey Show at Berriton Village Hall. It's a much-anticipated event in local beekeepers' diaries, with trophies awarded in various categories. Chair of the Association, Hilary Hayward, is with us now to tell us more. Hello, Hilary, how are you? Hello, I'm very well, thank you. So, how's the year gone? Um, it's been quite an interesting year, actually, because it has been a, a sort of year of, of some extreme weathers. Um, 
the bees produced a really good spring harvest so we had lots of spring honey and then July turned surprisingly cold and then normally you get a really good summer crop of honey but um, the bees were eating their summer crop so actually the summer honey production was down but then it started to pick up again with the warmer weather in August and, and going into autumn um, so it's been a sort of a mixed bag really I uh, imagine the last couple of years have been quite strange with the heat yes. of the summer before and then the rain that we've had this year and then the hot September yes let's throw yes. the bees off it, well it, it is it is throwing them off because the September is the time when they should be preparing for winter and starting to calm down and and the queen cuts down on her lane and it's also a time when the bees start kicking the drones out the the male bees um, but we were finding in a few hives at the beginning of September that they were still producing drone brood they were still producing um, baby drones um, which is quite unusual I've not really seen before which is indicative that we were probably heading towards a warm autumn um, so that's all a bit mixed up as well because you don't really want the queen to start laying now on a, on a grand scale leading into winter because then the bees won't have enough forage as the flowers will start to die now um, going into winter so it's yeah it's a tricky time for, strange for bees. times yeah strange time yeah. definitely so how yeah. long have you been keeping bees yourself? I, I've been keeping bees since 1992 so quite a long time off and on yeah I haven't done it consistently all that time I had children in between and it got too much work and everything um, but yes since then yeah and, and now you're chair of the association how long have you been chair here uh, this has been my second year yeah so I've, I've been a member for for quite a long time again I've been on and off the committee over the years and for uh, five seasons up till just before the pandemic started, I was a government bee inspector. So I did that for five seasons as well. When you go around inspecting hives for diseases on behalf of DEFRA and the Animal and Plant Health Agency. And that's so, really interesting. Yeah. Have you seen, has there been a change in diseases and how bees are faring over the last few years? Well, five, no, years? There, there has definitely been a change. Uh, bee health has been severely affected. And, and I think that's the funny weather that we're all experiencing. Yeah, I would say um, not so much bee numbers, but the health has, has got worse for bees, yes. Now, Hilary, you're holding in your hand a tool that you use for, for treating the varroa mite. It's called a vaporizer. Oh, right. And um, as you may have heard, the, the varroa mite arrived in the UK uh, at about the end of the 80s. And it's, it's a constant pest that beekeepers have to get on top of. Unfortunately, there's no cure for it. It's a tiny little mite and it lives on the uh, backs of the bees and it also feeds on the larvae, the bee larvae. And this is one of the treatments that you can use for knocking the mites off the bees' bodies. And it literally is attached to, um, it's a warming plate which attaches to a car battery and you put oxalic acid crystals on the warming plate which you bung into the hive and the crystals um, heat up, produce a vapour and the vapour knocks the mites off the bees um, but isn't toxic to the bees. So it's one of the treatments. It doesn't get rid of the varroa mite, unfortunately. Um, it's endemic and it's something that beekeepers have to learn to live with. And the bees have, unfortunately, the bee, like a lot of the diseases, they've it's come from Asia 
and the European bees haven't evolved to cope with the varroa mite yet. So we have to intervene and help it out. Oh my goodness, so how often do you have to use one of those throughout the year to, to look after uh, bees? With this actual uh, method, it should be used in late autumn um, up to January and it is, it's particularly used because the queen stops laying and doesn't produce any more larvae so you're really, it's an opportunity to get hold of the mites which are on the bees' bodies and not inside the larvae cells. So it's really a late year treatment for the varroa mite. And I'm ju I've just brought it in to lend to somebody ready for their winter preparations, winter treatments. Now there are a lot of people here as we chat here in the village hall, people milling around looking at the various different... Um, exhibits here I suppose and the, the different entries to the different categories. What categories are there that people can enter into this honey show? Um, well there's all different types of honey so there's different entries from the point you can in, in, enter the light honey which is based on colour, light coloured honey, medium coloured honey, dark coloured honey and that deals with the type of forage that the bees have been feeding on. Um, for instance the dark honey is often um, from aphids, quite an interesting honey, it's not actually um, nectar from plants. The aphids feed on um, the gums and essential oils of pine trees in particular and their exudate, the stuff that comes out the other end, is what the bees feed on and it produces a very dark honey. Um, the medium honey is, is the most common and it's really most of the garden forage and crops. And I think the light honey is blackberry. I'm not quite sure on that. I think it's more of a blackberry type of honey. It's lovely to see them all on display because you can see the variations of the different colours yeah. quite clearly. And, and also the setting as well. Like a lot of my honey, I was near oilseed rape fields and the bees go to oilseed rape. They like it because it has a very high nectar content that's found in the oilseed rape flower. And, um, and it produces produces a set honey so um, all my honey this year was set so I didn't have a choice of being able to produce light honey or set honey it was just all set this year but I, and I don't have a choice in that it's where the bees decide to go yeah. how lovely yeah. well congratulations also in order to you because you have won first prize in one of the categories and that is the scone the scones yes I was really surprised because I thought oh my goodness I'm a ace scone maker yeah <laughs> what did you put into your scones that made them extra special um, well I've, I've just had a quick were the judge actually and she said because she could taste the ginger and I'd followed the recipe and she couldn't taste the ginger in the in the other scone mixtures. So Yum. ginger and honey. Yes please. <laughs> yeah it was honey, raisin and ginger. So yeah it was yummy actually. <laughs> <laughs> Very nice. But there's also mead here as well. Um, and there's candles, beeswax is being used, sort of almost all elements of what bees produce. Yes, being, yes, and I think there's here. hand cream and lip balm as well is, a, is another category. Yeah, all the amazing things you can make with the products of the hive, yes. And how many members do you have currently in the association? I think it's about um, just under 150. Yeah, it sort of varies between 150 and 200. Not all of them are active members. Some of them are historical members, were active beekeepers, but now given up, but are still have a retain the membership. Um, yeah, I think it's around that number. Yeah, about 150. Yeah. And I suppose the season is is stopping now, calming down and winding yes, down. Really yes. We, we, tomorrow will be our last apiary meeting at the Petersfield uh, Beekeepers Apiary, and then we'll be getting the hives ready for winter. But throughout the winter, we have lots of winter talks, um, and our first one in October is what we call a wash up, where beekeepers come and discuss how their season's been and 
ask lots of questions with some of the experienced beekeepers. And then in November, we've got a really interesting talk. We've got a beekeeper from London um, who does quite a lot of talks and also is a former bee inspector. And he's going to talk about how he's radically changed his views on beekeeping from, from the point of view that we shouldn't be keeping so many beehives because they're out-competing the native pollinating insects. And bees out-compete because, um, because they just have the sheer numbers that a lot of pollinating insects don't have. For instance, a lot of solitary bees might produce only uh, up to 20 or 50 bees per season, whereas a honeybee can go up to 60,000 bees per season. So it's quite, quite an interesting... Uh, concept. So that'd be in November, which I think is the second Thursday in November. If people are interested. Yeah, if anyone was interested in starting up beekeeping or just getting involved, how can they do? How can they get in touch? They can get in touch with the Peterfield Beekeeping Association via our website. There's a link there which will put you in touch with the membership secretary, and then he will um, tell you about beginners' courses, which we hold every year at the beginning of the year. They normally start about February, and we're just planning the schedule for the courses to take place in February 2024. Brilliant. There you go. If you fancy keeping bees job, that's what you need to do. It's really interesting, Hilary. Thank you very much for talking to us and telling us more about the association. Thank you very much. Our great friend and Peapod contributor, John Walker, sadly passed away in March this year after a short illness. It was a shock to all who knew him. It only felt right to honour the man who loved Petersfield so much and the walks and pubs that he enjoyed to hold a memorial walk in his name at the end of September. Ahead of the very first John Walker Memorial Walk, Joff and I have met with Malinka van der Hau and Beth Svaroska to find out a bit more about the origins of the walk before it takes place. Hello, both of you. Hello. Hi. Hi. So can you tell us a bit more about the origins of the walk, the the thought process behind the John Walker Memorial Walk, please? So... It was a it was a terrible shock, wasn't it, to to many of us when we heard that John was ill and he was so ill. And um, he asked me if I could tell a group of people who had uh, supported him a lot at the post with uh, information about activities they were doing, and in turn, he and the post had supported them. And uh, that little group um, became. Uh, the group who organised the vigil for John in the square uh, in his last week or so. And uh, at the time we thought, well, you know, this, this isn't over. His, his memory should, should live on, even though the candlelight that we all lit in the square, you know, had to go out, then uh, we want to be able to do something to, to continue. But at the same time, it was all a bit raw and we knew we needed some time and um, then a few months later, I'm going to hand over to Malinka uh, for how the walk idea came about. Thank you. So, um, as you probably know, the walking festival this year is a walk for all seasons. Uh, there's been a few months that are a bit more tricky than others to find seasonality, January being one of them. I had to scrape the barrel a bit there. Um, but when I was looking ahead to September, it, uh, I was suddenly reminded of the Macmillan uh, big coffee morning and it being a big event for the Harrow, which then led me to remember that the walk that John led last year for the festival was to the Harrow. 
uh, he'd actually wanted to also continue on to the Queen's Head, but I, I felt that there was a risk involved in, in possibly him completing the walk. <laughs> so he was limited just to the Harrow. And, um, and so the idea of marrying that concept of the 29th of September being the big coffee morning, raising funds for cancer one way or another, um, and also walk for Walker. And I, and I knew that Beth was, you know, looking for, you know, watching and waiting for, you know, something to do in John's honour. And so I put it to her and uh, she was very, very keen to run with it. <laughs> yeah, I think it's a, a very special event. Um, John was, I say, close friend to, to the Peapod. For me personally, seeing him go downhill so quickly uh, from the first time he told me before he told a lot of other people um, it's is a safe for, for a lot of us it is still very very raw uh, but I think this is a, is, a, is a wonderful event it's raising awareness and funds for the Rosemary Foundation uh, which I think is fantastic um, how's the preparation going well we've had lots of support haven't we Malinka yeah. um, we we first approached the pubs on the walk that we um, wanted to include. Uh, we consulted John's family, of, of course, uh, and they were really supportive of the concept. That's what, what came first, in fact. Then we approached the pubs. And, and then, uh, gosh, the community just came around, didn't they? The rugby club have uh, been very enthusiastic as well, supported us with uh, design and social media uh, side as well. The post... Uh, of course, you know they were among our very, very first people involved, and and yourselves, of course, when we were just floating the idea, it really meant a lot that that you thought it was a good idea as well, and, and all all of that encouragement encouraged us to to go on and organise, and we just hope for a, a really good turnout and a really good fundraising evening for the Rosemary Foundation and a positive. Uh, community evening in, in John's memory. And this is a circular route, isn't it? But taking place at three different pubs along the way. Can you explain a bit more about how the walk is going to work, Malinka, please? Well, yeah, so there's, there's theory and practice. <laughs> the theory is that we, um, we spread us because what we didn't want is to, uh, you know go round en masse and um, you know just uh, put the poor barmen in the pubs under pressure with uh, with large numbers turning up so we've got the three pubs the townhouse uh, the harrow and the queen's head all favored drinking holes of john um, and places to scoop a story no doubt um, and so we've got three starting locations each of those pubs and so we'll go around in a clockwise route so only a third is in each pub at any one time We've had some moments recording the Peapod over the last four years and have found ourselves in some strange and interesting locations and situations this year. It's not all glamour here at Shine Radio. From almost missing the Butser Hill Challenge because we were in the wrong place to trying to recreate live radio during the coronation from different areas of the Peterson to being knee-deep in mud at Bell Hill. Here's our favourite crosstalk of the year. Hello, Claire, how are you? Hello, Joff. Ooh, there goes a firework. Woo! <laughs> I tell you what, I'm loving life here, Claire. It's raining. It's a Saturday night. 
I've got a glass of wine at home. We're and I'm in a field with mud up to my knees. We're stood under a tree, <laughs> trying not to move because there is so much mud and so much water. <laughs> do you like bonfire night, Claire? <laughs> I love bonfire oh, do you night. Really? Having lived out of the country for a number of years. Did you? I did, I did. It was something I really missed. So right. I've, I've always loved a good bonfire evening. I think you've said this a couple of times, and I'm going to keep it in. I'm going to ask him to keep this in, but whenever you say bonfire, it sounds like bonfire. <laughs> Bonfire, I, bonfire. Yeah. <laughs> bonfire. Good. Have I been saying bonfire the whole time? <laughs> bonfire notes. Bonfire. Yeah. Maybe it's a... <laughs> Maybe so, we edit so that out. No, we're not. We're going to keep that in. Bonfire. bonfire. How many bonfire. times have I said bonfire? Oh, about three times. <laughs> Excellent. So, Joff, do you like a good bonfire? <laughs> Joff, do you like a good bonfire and fireworks mate? I prefer the fire. Do you? I prefer... I'm a, I'm a man. Claire, I like fire. You're finding your inner caveman. Inner, ca- inner caveman. Oh, there we go. This is going to make good radio. They look lovely. Um, but yes, no, it's... Uh, Ooh, these aren't the... Uh, the fireworks you may hear are not through the Round Tables event. This is someone's back garden. Which is nice. Which is really nice. Which is really well nice. well-timed for our <laughs> yeah. job. So, um, no, I prefer the fire. Do you usually go to... A fireworks display. Then. We used to come to the one here at Bell Hill, but then the boys got older, I got more miserable, and uh, I'd rather stay at home. Oh, <laughs> Well, I remember years ago, yes. it used to be a really, really chilly evening. You know, dressing up with double socks and all sorts of tights under leggings, that kind of thing. I agree, I agree, yeah. I say times have a change, because when, when we were growing up, we didn't have a separate, as such... Halloween and bonfire, we 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 combined them to a certain extent. Did because you? It, because it was only a couple of days, and you didn't always keep going out. There's not always these big events that used to go on. So yeah, we'd have we'd have uh, a bonfire and fireworks in the garden. Then we'd do the games like like apple bobbing and and things like that. Ah, toffee apples and toffee apples. Yeah, yeah and uh, jacket potatoes in silver foil so it's all nice and crispy that type of thing well, i love hot chestnuts as well they don't you don't seem to get hot chestnuts anymore love hot chestnuts but, well you do at christmas you used to get them a bum bum i can't <laughs> say that <laughs> you used to get them around this time of year too <laughs> i also remember when we used to go to a, a bonfire night there didn't used to be any health or safety as no. as there is now you know so Obviously, there's a huge barrier bef- between where the public's going to be standing and where the fireworks and the bonfire is. But I remember getting up really quite close to the fire. Yeah, and I, I bet you were one of those people who used to hold a Catherine wheel in your hand and let it go round and round. <laughs> Not a Catherine wheel, but I love a sparkler. <laughs> I love a good Don't sparkler. Don't we all? <laughs> yeah, so we haven't bought a ticket, have we, Claire? So we do have to leave before it starts. I'm sure they wouldn't mind if we stayed a bit longer, but I'm not sure my toes are going to be able to cope with No, um... And as I say, my as I say my my trousers are, are soaking. Oh, Joff, really? But we got we got right up and close and personal to the fire, didn't we? We did. And you know what was really exciting? I've come to this event a number of times over the years, and there's always a gap at the bottom of the fire that you can see. People have gone inside yes. to prepare it to light. Yep. And we got to see that. We did. Really close. We did, and it's um, yeah, it's 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 a great event, and I know the round table worked really hard to put this together for Petersfield and they do so much for the town uh, and it's great that it's the weather has sort of 
stayed okay um, uh -oh. to to uh, allow it to continue. Well, I think they've done a remarkable job to keep it going this evening where, you know, it, they could easily have postponed it or even cancelled as a result of the weather. But they've got this, they've got an amazing positive attitude. They've built this incredible fire. They've been working tirelessly pretty much most of the day. Um, good on them. Let's hope it's a good evening for them. And that's it for this best of 2023 Peapod. Thank you for joining us on our Peapod adventures. Thanks also to all our guests over the year, as well as to our amazing editor, M. Sefton-Smith, and of course, to the Shine Radio team. So Joff and I wish you all a Merry Christmas and a happy and healthy New Year. And just before Claire and I go, here are some of our bloopers. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, Claire, you're a professional. Come on. I don't know why I've got the giggles all of a sudden. <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> Hello, I'm. <laughs> why have I got the giggles? I don't know. Come on. Okay, be serious, straight face. Hello, I'm Claire Venice. And I'm Joff Lacey. We're out for a walk. And women. <laughs> We're four pints in. Yeah. Do you want to start again? Yeah. Hello, I'm Claire Venice. And I'm Joff Lacey. Why are you laughing? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> okay. Shall I, shall I stop this lucky. one? No, it's quite funny. Poor M. Uh, okay. Probably enjoy this. Third time lucky. Here we go. <laughs> but we did see a lovely caterpillar. Yeah, we did, actually. <laughs> On our travels around the top of Butser Hill, we saw a massive furry caterpillar. Um, we had to get... <laughs> Maybe take that bit out. <laughs> They're looking for another bond, aren't they? I think. Yeah. Yeah. I think you want more of Mrs. Miss Moneypenny, though, I would think. <laughs> Where were we? Where were we? Why was King William III removed from his horse in the square? I don't know. Why was King William III removed from his horse in the square? Uh, well, you'll have to listen <laughs> to Shine Radio's. <laughs> I thought it was a joke. <laughs> oh! Oh, Claire, it's going to be dotted around the oohs and the e's and the oohs. 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 <laughs> Any kind of vowel. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> I don't no. know if I said an e. Claire, there's something playing in the background. I don't like it. Oh, is it walking in the air, Joe? It, it is. favourite Christmas song. It's not. It's getting very clammy now. That's on my... Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so, yes... You want to do it back out, Claire? Because no, no, it's no. No, I sang it as a, I sang it as a solo, oh. thirty-five year, thirty-seven years ago, oh, right. in the festival hall. It was a bit of a cloudy night, so we didn't actually see any stars other than Claire and I. But we had a fabulous you time. You can't include that. You didn't <laughs> put that in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the serious peapod. <laughs> yeah, this is it. Um, um, can you cut out all laughing? It's very serious. Shine Radio is the home of doorstep carols in Petersfield. I'm Joff Lacey. And I'm Claire Venice. We'll be bringing you Petersfield's favourite Christmas carols from our doorstep to yours. We all know the words, we all know the tunes. But if you don't know them, we've got the handy pullout on the website, shineradio.uk. favourite things this time of year, Joff, is singing carols. The first two words just get you in the mood, don't they? Ding dong. Doorstep carols. Sing along with the radio Wednesday night at six. 
Thank you.